Welcome to Sunburnt Country Music, interviews with Australian country music artists. My name is Sophie and I have been interviewing Australian country music artists for over a decade and I still love it. I love their stories, I love their insights and I love their music. So I hope you enjoy hearing from them on this podcast. Hayley Marston released her first EP, Lone Star, in 2017 and her debut album, Spectacular Heartbreak, in 2019. That album would garner several award nominations, including the Golden Guitar for Alt Country Album of the Year. She has a new album. It is a tour de force and it is called Girlhood and I have many questions about it. Hello, Hayley. Hi. That was, well, when you put it all together like that, it sounds quite impressive. So I just want you to follow me around and introduce me as I walk into the rooms now. Well, I can sell, send you that paragraph. You can just, you know, record yeah. it and play it. Yeah, I might yeah. play it like in a megaphone as I enter any space. That sounds great <laughs> because you should have it on a megaphone because this album is exceptionally good. Um, and I was trying, I was sort of trying to find the words to describe it and just thought, you know, I I'm, I'm have a lot of feelings. I'm in my feelings, as the kids <laughs> say. Uh, there have been a lot of emotions uh it's just it's an extremely good album and so congratulations it's absolutely yeah you know you said that it is the album the quote is from you the album I wanted and needed to hear when I was younger and I have to say it's the album I wanted and needed to hear when I was younger (laughs) I made me want to cry um because I just listened to it and thought yeah I don't think this album exists in the world actually you know for women of any age I don't think when it's arguable Taylor Swift keeps making an album for her younger self over and over again, mm-hmm. I don't think that's true. But I just can't think of anything that's that exact collection of experiences which might offer comfort to someone who's not a girl anymore but might also offer some guidance and reassurance to someone who is a girl still. And so I'm wondering if it started off being that project for you or did it just start as one song or something else altogether? It's... Look, it's really funny how it came together. For most of the time that we were making this record, I thought it would have a completely different name. Um, and I actually thought I was going to call it I'm Fine Thanks because I thought it was funny because a twisted sense of humour. I thought it was funny if I had an album called I'm Fine Thanks and it was all about me being really sad. Right. Um, but, like, as it went on, it just didn't, fit, like, really sit right and once we got to the end of last year and the record was basically done and I had shot the album cover and I was doing the graphic design, I was putting I'm fine thanks on these photos. I'm like, but that's that's not her name. Um, and I was going through all of the, like, the words or, like, lines. I'm like, what can I pick? And I say girlhood in another song on the record and I was like, this makes it just kind of was like all of the pieces falling into place because I had even said like earlier in the process that that's what I wanted to make. I wanted to make an album for my younger self mm-hmm. that is, you know, this multifaceted thing. It's not just one stay in this one box and do this one kind of music and sing your one kind of songs. I wanted to be, a, I wanted to be a rock star and play in like rock bands and I wanted to sing country music and I wanted to have like my pop star moment and I always felt like I was forced that I could only be one thing and it's yeah it's so funny I went back to Gladstone at the start of last year while we were um like deep in the recording times and I found my um teenage diary Mm -hmm. and I read it and I felt very 
just what I don't know what the word is like I just read it and thought oh my god you poor thing like you were really going through it and it's such a difficult time to be a teenage girl Mm -hmm. and I just feel like this record definitely is it well it came together in the end like it just it was obvious by the time I was naming it it was girlhood and it really is just the lessons and stories I wish I had known at that time for comfort but also I think a part of that is acknowledging that I just, I did the best with what I had at the time as well. Mm. And I think you're saying <clears throat> you wanted to be a rock star, you wanted to play country, you wanted to play pop. <laughs> That's also you know, about about other things you wanted to do with your life, expectations that were that were put on you and, and you didn't want to follow in all sorts of ways. You know, the sorts of lives that we're instructed to lead that are really useful for everyone else if we lead them, but they're not necessarily going to be what we want to do. Oh, yeah. I think I feel like probably like the songs I Am A Rich Man and the title track very much touch on like I kind of was shown that or like I think it was more, I think about when I went to high school and the real like it was a very um strange choice for me to say that I wanted to be a musician no one else really that I didn't know anybody who was a musician I think people just assumed that for me to have a full and happy life I would grow up and get married and I would have children and that would be the marker of me having a happy and successful life and you know what maybe one day it might be but I feel like right now um the marker of my full, happy, successful life and the marker of that for many other women is what they have. And it doesn't always mean, you know, following the, um, you know, nuclear family dynamic. There are many other ways to be very successful and very happy that don't have to be the, you know, traditional markers. And I feel like I wrote I'm a Rich Man with Imogen Clark and we always talk about how bizarre it is that we're like always asking people, so when are you getting engaged? But they've literally just like kicked ass in their career or they have just like the most, um, they're just like the best friend that you could ever ask for. But the only thing we want to know is when are you going to get a piece of jewellery? Obviously like engagement means more than that. And I don't want it to come across like I'm saying, marriage it's more (laughs) that that's not for everybody and Mm. it doesn't mean that that if you're married that you're happy and like life's great so yeah um and and just on the title again as you are a swifty uh, and i mentioned (laughs) i I know that you will know the line from would have could have should have that goes give me back my childhood it was mine first now obviously your project was well underway by the time that came out so your album is not an answer to that but it does feel like a companion almost in that it sounds like you're giving yourself back your girlhood. Yeah, that's <laughs> that's very emotional. Yeah, I did, um, like, we had sort of kicked things off by the time Midnight's, Midnight's, Midnight's had come out, but that, that song is one of the best songs that Taylor has ever written mm. and I definitely, like, related to it so much. Um, I think... I think most women can re- can relate to it. I think, you know, there is a time in your girlhood that you think you're a grown-up and perhaps maybe you're not. Um, mm. But, yeah, I 
I love that they kind of link together in some way. Yeah, it's like it's yeah, I saw that synergy and I thought it's often the case that, that there are ideas in the zeitgeist that that a couple or three different or four different people might pick up on at the same time. And so in that way, Hayley, I think you're on Taylor's wavelength. <laughs> well, me and Taylor, we we share the same brain cells as it turned <laughs> out. Um, call me babe. Let's get together. <laughs> now, you are riding a wave of success with the release of Spectacular Heartbreak. Um, then everything stopped because the world stopped. And you said that writing songs for this new album gave you a reason to get out of bed. Was there one song in particular that did that for you? Well, it's funny. Um, I had a standing co-write day that Kieran Stevenson would come over and we would just write. And I had to kind of because I had the pressure of somebody, you know, being in the room, I couldn't just be like, well, I don't really feel like doing this today. I actually want to go back to bed and be sad. Um, it did kind of force me to look through my voice memos. And as it turned out, I went back through them recently ahead of this record coming out. And so Kieran and I wrote um, Drowning Myself, I'm Fine, Thanks, Good Writer, and I Knew the Pain one week after another like in a, yeah so and then we're like you know what we're done we didn't write any more songs for the record um so I guess all of them it was just a very lucky streak of very easy great songs that we were both really proud of um and then once those songs had kind of come together I had also before that written Bittersweet at Best and Feel It All by myself I kind of felt like maybe there was something I was still kind of unsure to be honest at that point of time I was like maybe I won't ever release any music ever again right. and maybe I, I don't have it in me to come back and do this um, but I just sort of just kept it for me for a long time and we did some demos at the end of 2020 and as time wore on I just realized that I this is not something I can walk away from. I have a lot more to say. And even though I, I was having a very, very hard time, really the thing that made me climb back out of that black hole was was music and was writing. And, um, yeah, I think, like, getting started on recording Drowning Myself was really something for me to look forward to and to to hope for and to yeah I guess just wanting to show people that there are I do have more good songs in me as even though I thought perhaps I had nothing left um so yeah I think having those co-writes really really were it was the start of this record even though I didn't know it and I can only imagine it was completely deliberate that Drowning Myself was the first single because the rest of the album is actually about you rescuing yourself. As I said, it's about you giving yourself back your girlhood. Well, that, at least to me, that's what it sounded like. Um, I didn't think about that, but that is, that's a beautiful, maybe subconsciously. I actually chose Drowning Myself as the first single because I say spectacular heartbreaks in it. Right. And I was like, <laughs> this is the new era. Um, but that's a really beautiful way of putting it that, yeah, that song was about me drowning myself and all the rest are kind of me rescuing myself yeah 
Why do you want me to cry, Sophie? Well, you made me cry. It's only fair. <laughs> so it was the first time I listened to this. I was like, I'm crying. What is this? So then it kept happening every time I listened oh. to it. Every time. But it keeps happening. Well, people need to prepare themselves. I am more than happy to be the artist that people go to for their recreational cries. <laughs> That's a beautiful legacy I'd love to take. I think I, I think it is a lovely legacy, but of course you're going to make more music, so the legacy doesn't need to be set quite. Okay, yet. well, yes, yeah, we'll see. <laughs> so musically, this is not. This is actually, yeah, what you said. You wanted to be a rock artist. You wanted to be a country artist. You wanted to do pop. This album is that. There are some some songs on it where I thought, I'm imagining these are musical references to songs that you loved when you were a, a girl. So I'm wondering what what those references were, or, or which artists you loved um, when you wrote that Teenage Diary? I I mean, look, the artist that I loved when I was growing up, I was a massive, I was a big Avril Lavigne fan. I loved Hilary Duff, um, the Veronicas. Who, I feel like I just, I usually just find some like core artists that I'm like, I will be your number one fan. Um, and then, you know, as I went, became a teenager, Taylor Swift was starting out. Obviously, I'm a Swifty from way back, from 2007. Um, so, yeah, I think I've always loved just female artists telling their stories in whichever genre that may be. Mm-hmm. So I think that's really what it boils down to. I think also, like, the other thing is that I did obviously have a lot of, uh, I had a very eclectic musical upbringing. My parents have a very um, wide-ranging musical collection like we loved Sher and obviously I am a rich man the quote is from Sher and my mum uh was a huge Kylie Minogue and Robbie Williams fan and she still is um she's very disappointed that I didn't want to go to the Kylie Minogue tour with her when she came and you know what to be honest I'm probably I'm a little bit disappointed now as well I regret um and my dad has always been like (laughs) the most un what's the word unusual pop like you wouldn't expect an accountant to have his favorite band be ace of bass but yet here we are so we listened to a lot of pop music when I was growing up like the only country music I ever really heard was from my grandparents or maybe we might listen to Johnny Cash so I guess I was getting like the connection of the female experience from genres outside of country music for a lot of my musical upbringing until I found Taylor. Um, and so I guess that's kind of why there is a lot of different influences. Mm-hmm. Um, now track three is teen movie, which lyrically I just love so much. Um, it is in part about John Hughes movies uh, and the <laughs> impact they had on you and what your ideas of romance would be. And it's definitely written for the perspective of you as you are now. But as you say in the song, you still want John Hughes to direct you. Um, mm-hmm. But I'm wondering also if you find like, or you have found that programming from that sort of storytelling being very hard to break, actually, that whole idea of the teenager, yeah. 16 candle, all that stuff. I, you know what? I was waiting for such a long time to have my teenage romance moment. It never came. And to be honest, Fair enough. Um, but like I never had a boyfriend when I was in high school and I was very, very, again, the diary, very sad. She's so sad. All of these boys, they do not like her. But when I say that I 
was relying on teen movies and like the TV shows and movies that I was watching as a teenager, I cannot stress enough how I was leaning on those narratives as like and holding out hope that they might come true. Like my parents got divorced when I was a teenager and I remember watching this Mary-Kate and Ashley TV show where their parents were divorced but they got back together. And like poor, sweet angel baby, that's not going to happen, but it will be okay. Um, And yeah, I guess like because of that, I didn't have a lot of great examples of like healthy um, relationships or strong relationships rather than just like how to lose a guy in 10 days, 16 candles. Although, and also my mum for years quested to find um, Can't Buy Me Love, which is a very niche John Hughes movie with uh, a young Patrick Dempsey in it where he rides on a ride on motor, uh, not a motorbike, a ride on. Like a Vesper or something? No, what are they called? Mower, a ride on lawnmower. That's like they ride up into the distance on the lawnmower. So none of those um, storylines have ever happened to me and it is kind of (laughs) sad when I like realised how much I was hoping that maybe this one example could be real life for me bless her she just <laughs> she did the best she did the best with yeah. what she had yeah because that they were the stories you were seeing that was the information you were getting um and I think teen movie is also about how hard how ideas can be the hardest things to let go of and they really you know they really really can be because they're so powerful and I'm wondering if um are there if there are ideas you had of yourself as a teenager negative ideas that you've been able to let go of by creating the album I think as a teenager I for a long time really thought that there was something wrong with me and that I kind of was existing for the approval of men around me and now I'm like I actually don't care what you think I'm actually just here for the girls um the girls the gays the non-binary but days I just and also I think finally after many many years I'm okay just existing and being good enough just for me as well um so it's taken a long time to break down those frameworks mm-hmm. but I think I'm finally just okay being who I am without having approval from other people to be that mm-hmm. and I think the song I knew the pain does address that in part because it, it acknowledges that it can be more comforting holding on to the pain you know than facing the unknown yeah yeah <clears throat> I remember when I told Kieran that idea for that song I'm like and the words are coming out of my mouth. I'm like, this is so depressing. This sounds so upsetting um, to be saying that, you know, sometimes it is comforting to go back to this comfortable numbness that you have experienced many times before rather than heal and open yourself up to new ways to be hurt. Um, But I'm very lucky that he totally understood and, yeah, it's, that's actually turned out to be one of my favourite songs I've ever written. Yeah, it's a, it's a fantastic song. As uh, all the songs on the album, I keep saying this because it's true. Uh, <laughs> now, you also worked with Dan Sugars, who is the producer of the album um, or co-producer, I wasn't quite clear on the credits, and your partner. I imagine he mm-hmm. heard these songs from Inception, so was he able to start thinking about how to produce them quite early? 
Uh, well, originally when we first met, I was like, nah, we're not working together. I don't want to, you know, get away. Um, because I have had partners who I've worked with in the past and they have only ever let me down. So I was very much against it. Um, but Dan is not like that. He is a very organized, reliable person. And it just sort of made sense that he and I would that we would work on it together because um when we were doing the demos like we couldn't go to any studios so we were just recording at our home studio and then once I like pulled together like the A team for the production it just made sense that Dan would be part of that as well because he is an excellent producer and he does understand what I'm trying to create um he also plays drums and does percussion on all the tracks as well and I think another thing that was really helpful is that because Dan can speak Hayley and also producer he was able to translate many of my production notes like um uh it sounds a bit too toilety or it sounds like I just was saying the most insane stuff that I have never said in the studio before because I you know don't want to look like an idiot um but Dan along with Kieran Moko and Cody are people who have known me for well some, Cody has known me since I was four years old so there is no need to be scared of sounding like an idiot um and Yes, when we had Dan to do the translating as well was um it just worked it just worked like a very well oiled machine. Yeah. Well your voice does sound very free on this, no matter what the song is and the, you know, the, the content of the songs changes, but there is a looseness to it that I, I don't think I've heard in it before. Thank you. Yeah, I actually this sounds also like I'm not fishing for compliments, but I always thought like I was an alright, like I singer, like I can do it. But when we recorded this record and I listened to I Knew the Pain, I was like, wow, I'm actually like, I'm actually really good. Who would have thought? Like, why would you make a career? Why would you go into a career and spend literally 10 years if you were like mm, medium? So, yeah, a lot of revelations <laughs> apparently. Uh, definitely took a lot more risks vocally that I would never, ever even consider taking, like even singing the the vocal that you hear on Rich Man, I was dead against. I was like, I can't sing that. There's no way. And because the other thing that was really great is because we recorded it here in Brisbane, there wasn't the time pressure that I've had in the past that, okay, I'm here and I've got two weeks to sing the best I possibly can sing and I've got to sing it right now. We worked on a lot of these songs over the course of, you know, well, almost a year. Um so if I wasn't, you know, feeling the best or if I was sick, there was no like pressure that we had to get the vocal take that day mm -hmm. because there was always extra time and we didn't want to rush it. Yeah. I think your impression of your voice now is also part of letting go of the negative ideas that have existed in the past and how yeah. art can actually help you do that, how, how it can help you let go of expectations that you you had of yourself one of which was I'm not that great a singer <laughs> yeah and you know what I'm thinking about it now I probably picked it up because I used to do like choir and musical theater and I was or I had a very low voice and they're like no you can't sing high so you can only sing this much so just you know not the best and that's actually not the truth 
And I think because I thought I couldn't do that for such a long time, I just didn't even try. So again, got to just let it go, let go of the past, kumbaya, et cetera. <laughs> my Body Is Not My Own is the hardest song on the album to hear, um, but I think it's the most important to listen to in some ways and people for, li- for people to listen to closely. Um, there aren't many songs that can really pull a listener up the way this one can. I mean, any songs in the world. Um the only other song I can think of recently is actually Amber Lawrence's You Are Mine, which is about a very different subject, uh, but it's the same same impact of just pulling the listener up and 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 you have to listen to that song over and over again. It's devastating every time. Um, I'm wondering if your song, My Body Is Not Your, My Own, pulled you up while you were recording it. I mean, <clears throat> definitely. I went back and forth for a long time of if we would record it at all because it is it's a very confronting it was a very confronting song for me to write it's a very confronting song for me to sing and I probably won't ever sing it live for that purpose um but yeah I think we just kind of decided that it was really important and it was important to me and my goal as a songwriter has always been to Hopefully by sharing my vulnerabilities, I would maybe make somebody else feel more understood. And I think more as, you know, so much has happened in the last 12 months with um, restrictions on women's bodies and what we're actually able to decide for ourselves that I just kind of felt like it was more and more important for me to include it on the record. Um. And that is actually the first mention of girlhood and that's why I decided to call the record Girlhood. So I think it was all exactly right on time in the end. Yeah. Um, I think it has a couple of song relatives that I could think of, one of which is Make You by Lindsay L and the other is Gratitude by Annie DeFranco. Um, but it is its own powerful and heartbreaking statement. So my question was going to be, are you able to play it live? You've actually already said it. You're not going to be able to. And I, I totally understand why. People will have to listen to it to understand why. Yeah. 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 Yeah, <laughs> well, that. yeah but look, it's, yeah, it's, a, it's a really powerful song. The last track is last transmission and it is a live recording um its theme is that the gig you're playing while singing it live is possibly your last transmission ever and that there's a that's a sentiment that arose out of lockdowns um but what it's really about is how great it is to play live and to listen to live music so have you been enjoying the prospect of bringing these songs to life for people i have been my band and i have been practicing for this tour um for about like a month and a half and it's so exciting now that we've you know we've put a lot of effort into all of the many aspects of the show um I even have a part in the set list that is different every night it's left to chance (sighs) so if you were to come to every show on the girlhood tour you would see a different show every night um but yeah I think it's really exciting to create a new kind of um world with a new record and and figure out how the last record and the previous songs have released fit into that one um and yeah I'm just excited to 
to just celebrate this because it's been a long time. Like I started writing this in 2020 um, and then we were recorded for a year and the last couple of months have been not a lot of glamour. It's been a lot of spreadsheets and planning from me. So I think I finally feel like there's nothing left to stress about and I just get to have fun and just enjoy this record that I am so proud of. And um, yeah, I'm just really excited for people to hear it. I think, I know that everyone says this, but I do feel like this is my most like true snapshot as me as a person, as a whole. Mm-hmm. And musically, I was reflecting on the fact that the the link between Spectacular Heartbreak and this album is actually the, the four songs from Spectacular Heartbreak you re-recorded. Um, and I think it's on that on the EP that you released, and I forgot to mention that um, in the intro. But when I was listening to Girlhood, I thought, yeah, I don't know that you could have necessarily got to here without doing those four songs because the way you recorded them indicated quite a change from the Haley who'd recorded Spectacular Heartbreak. Yeah, I think I actually haven't listened to Spectacular Heartbreak like the record. I've obviously played the songs heaps. Um, and I did an interview earlier today and they played a part of Spectacular Heartbreak. And I'm like, wow, I sound so different, not in a bad way at all. I'm just like, that feels so long ago. I'm so proud of that record still. Um, but it just, I feel, I felt like for a long time when I was writing this record that I just really wish that I could be a person I was in 2019. Um, but at the end of the day, the person I was when I recorded Spectacular Heartbreak could never have written or recorded Girlhood. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's on going to therapy. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, it's worked spectacularly. Just that's a little pun there for you. Um, <laughs> but, yes, Girlhood is a phenomenal achievement. Um, I think it's it's a necessary album for girls and women of all ages to listen to and other people as well um, yeah. because it is fundamentally about life and experiences because in being specific you've made it universal so Hayley congratulations it's a great album may everyone embrace it let's hope thank you so much for saying all those lovely things I feel I, like I, say I, them if I, mean them. <laughs> I need to go and unpack the dishwasher now so I can come back down to earth I think <laughs> well I'll let you go and do it again talk to you later <laughs> Bye. Thanks for listening to the Sunburnt Country Music Podcast. For more Australian country music interviews and reviews and other things, go to sunburntcountrymusic.com or to Sunburnt Country Music on Instagram, Facebook and TikTok.